The following message by one of our lay leaders, David Stanley, is brought to you by Together in Christ. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you so much for this opportunity, God. God, I want to pray that all the words that come out of my mouth come from you, Lord God. The Spirit shall lead me, and that will only be the message that you wish to come out, Lord God. And I also pray for every person that listens and hears these words, that you will guide them in their heart and their soul to hear only the message you want them to hear, Lord God. Please, take us out of it. I love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so Galatians. We're in the book of Galatians. We'll be in chapter three today, and we'll be in the first five verses. So just to recap a little bit, Pastor Tim over the last couple months has been preaching through chapters one and two. And in the book of Galatians, there's uh, a, a pretty simple theme that's throughout the whole thing, but it's also very complex when you start digging into it. But it, we've had where Paul has, is writing, and he's, he's made the gospel very clear to the, the people of Galatia, and as well to us in this. And so <clears throat> he's also defended the veracity of what he's saying, the truthfulness of what he's saying, and his apostleship, so that you understand that those words came from Jesus Christ himself to him so that you have some buy-in and understanding and value to what's being said. And he stated out a lot of facts in the first two chapters. And <clears throat> when we, we move to chapter three, there's a little bit of a change in how the letter's written. And uh, it leads up to it at the end for, from the last service also. But Pastor Tim has made a, a message to us and, and, and said it a couple times, and I'll reiterate it. Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And hopefully we'll continue to see that in, in God's word today as we go through it. And, and Pastor Tim's gone over the true gospel. He's, he talked about the gospel of I and how we need to avoid that selfishness and how we turn things to our own desires. And he talked about the handling of opposition to the gospel as well as hypocrisy in the church and how we need to be clear with the gospel and also confronting those hypocrites that come in and, and cause damage in the church. And also, last week we were talking about being crucified with Christ as well as seeking to be justified in Christ. And so this transition in chapter three is starting to dig more into the principles of justification and a, a deeper uh, understanding of the doctrine of this portion of principle, principles of justification. And with that, I'm gonna reiterate the definition of justification. So I'm gonna read what it says when I look it up, the action of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. Now, Pastor Tim gave a really clear visual explanation for us last week, and I've heard him say it numerous times to the youth, and it's exciting because it's in a way that they're able to retain it, and I've, I've heard them numerous times, whether it's quiz bowl or whatever, repeat it and be able to remember it. But it's the vision of, you know, we sit before the judge and we are condemned and we are given a death sentence because that's what we deserve. And that death sentence to be carried out would be justice upon us. However, at the moment of salvation, we receive justification, which is Christ's righteousness imputed upon us. So the judge, Christ literally takes off his robe and steps down and takes the punishment for us, where we receive justification. And <clears throat> being able to see it as that, that point of, 
of judgment and being able to see that we deserve that punishment and don't receive it is, is that understanding there. And I, and I appreciate that explanation. I wanted to repeat it. Um, so in chapter 2, it ends, the very ending of chapter 2, verse 21, the last part says, For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And so that leads us right into chapter 3 where I want to go over the word of vain. We're going to revisit it in the, in the next five uh, verses, but vain is useless or of no result, right? I know we hear the word vain a lot, and we might, might even think we understand it, but just want you to really think that it means useless, of no result. And he's saying that Christ died in vain if righteousness comes to the law. So that's why we're talking about justification here. So read with me verses 1 through 5 of chapter 3. I'll be reading from New King James today. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, Are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? So, if you notice, these are all questions, right? Every every single verse has a question in it. One has two, two questions in it. So these are rhetorical questions that are coming out. And so in this, this first five verses, as we transition in the understanding, he's literally asking us to look at ourselves, these rhetorical questions. So the definition of a rhetorical question, just to go over it, is a question asked in order to create a dramatic effect or to make a point rather than to get an answer. So there are uh, two things there, a dramatic effect right? A certain understanding is what I think we're going for in these. And then the other is to make a point rather than get an answer. Well, both of them are the answers understood in a rhetorical question. So I looked up rhetorical questions because I was like, let me see if I can find a good example just to put it out there. And the number one thing that popped up when I, when I looked for an example of rhetorical question was, is the Pope Catholic? And so I just thought that was kind of funny. So, <laughs> um, but if we look back just a few verses in chapter 2, verse 17, we'll see where Christ uses an example like that, where he's like, is Christ therefore a ministry of sin? Certainly not. He's looking for that certain point to be made that absolutely not, right? And that's that type of question. But here, these questions are meant for us to look at ourselves, for the Galatians to look at their own experiences and to think. If we were helping someone with a project, right, we saw somebody really desiring to work hard at something and work toward it, right? They felt led by Christ and they're really working toward it and you see them slack off in their motivation or just stop for a little while. And, and we come and we would ask the question like, come on, don't you wanna finish? Don't you wanna do this? Don't you wanna get better? Don't you wanna? Not because we really believe that, that we don't know that answer because we know, we've been with them in that process but we ask them so that they can have that self-reflection to realize that what we're telling them is, hey, come on, you need to step up your game, right? You need to, you need to go where you're going. Um, and so it's that point of self-reflection for us to ask those questions to ourselves. And <clears throat> that is what, 
what kind of question we're getting because Paul has already given us, he's laid out the facts and he's already given us the answers to these questions in the preceding two chapters. And so right off the bat, he says, oh foolish Galatians, in this next part. And he's calling them fools. He said, you have been made a fool of. And then this next part, who has bewitched you? This, this word bewitched is, is interesting because this is, this, when, when you look at what Greek word is translated into bewitched, that Greek word is only used once in the entire Bible, and that is here. And I believe that Paul used this, used something outside the normal vocabulary to show emphasis on it, right? We can't, he can't, you know, just say it louder like we do sometimes when we want to show emphasis on something, but he actually changed his vocabulary and gave us a certain emphasis so that we can look outside of, of something. If you were, use the word terrible all the time and you get used to the word terrible and then all of a sudden you use the word horrible, it's because you're trying to use something outside your vocabulary for something greater, for a greater emphasis on it. And so this word bewitched we look at, and they were bewitched. And so it says they obey not the truth. We have to remember that the truth only comes, the whole, the true truth, if you will, the truth is God's word, scripture, it comes from the word. And he's telling us flat out that this has come from Jesus Christ himself. This is the word of God that I'm presenting to you. And <clears throat> this is the truth. And he tells them that Jesus Christ was portrayed before you. This word portrayed, when you look at it, is telling them that it has literally been posted on a billboard for them. It's been posted where they should all see it. It's been, it's been obviously displayed for you. Today, it would be like, hey, look, it was in your social media feed. You hit that you liked it, and you posted some little amen comment with some little emoji or something. You sh- there's no reason you shouldn't know it. It was laid out right before you, and they had no excuse no excuse. It was portrayed clearly to them, the gospel. Just as it was also portrayed to Peter that we spoke about in the last chapter. And he said, Peter had no excuse. Well, guess what? We have no excuse in these same situations. We're in church. Many of us are in church every week. You hear the gospel preached to you every week. And we still use the excuse that, oh, I'm not sure how to, how to share. I'm not sure if I can do that. Yet the thing is, is this is the exact same gospel that I was saved with. This is the same gospel that if you are a born-again believer, you were saved with. This is the same gospel they're saying that the Galatians were saved by, that they received the Holy Spirit from, the same gospel. And yet they're using it, and they have the, they're trying to, to uh, or the point is there's no excuse. There's no excuse for it, is what he's telling them. And he says he wants to ask them, I want to learn only from you. So basically he's saying here again the emphasis on your experience. I want you to self-reflect on yourself and to think how you're being bewitched. What is this situation? Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? See, when we're saved, we all receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we receive that spiritual baptism. And that's a gift from God. That is absolutely a gift that's not something we do on our own to earn. I know it, and every believer should know it. The Galatians, they knew it. They just had to look inside and realize it. <clears throat> he goes back to, are you so foolish? He says, now, you, you, knowing that you began in the spirit, that now you're trying to perfect it by the flesh, 
This word flesh here is saying human effort. That's what we mean by that. Are you now trying to perfect God's perfect work, make it better with human effort? It's foolish, absolutely foolish. We can't make God's work better. That's impossible. We have to come to that realization in our lives because how often are we sitting there trying to be control freaks with our own life and selfish with things? And it's like, no, I got this section, God. I got this. I don't, I don't need you right now for that. That's selfishness and foolish. We need to seek his good and perfect will. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, it tells us that we need to sac- offer our own bodies as a living sacrifice so that we are able to discern God's will. There needs to be less of us so that there can be more of him. And see, you cannot be saved without the spirit, but you also can't do anything good. You can't do God's will without the spirit. And we need to not confuse those two either, right? And we can, we can get into those confusions a lot of times when we're trying to present this. And we need to be able to separate that. The, the easiest one that you, you hear as an example is like that you have to be baptized, a believer's baptism, dunking in water in order to be saved, which it has nothing to do with salvation. It is something that I believe that we are called to do and commanded by God, but it is, you can only do it with the Spirit, but it is not tied to your salvation. And we need to be clear at what the gospel is and that it is just Jesus plus nothing, everything. And so, In James chapter 1, 16, and the first part of 17, it says, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift from is, is from above. Everything that is good is truly good. Not, not our definition of good, but God's definition of good comes from God. We can't do it without him. And later in Galatians in chapter 5, we see a very clear difference where it's laid out, what is the works? What is the works of flesh? And what is the fruit of the Spirit? And and I encourage you to to look at them because they're completely different. And we cannot do anything good without God. And it says, so these are, again, talking about experience. Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? See, that word, word vain, again, is producing no result useless, right? And the word suffered there also means experienced, right? That what have you experienced and endured through, right? And so this, this word, this Greek word, pasco, I can't pronounce any of that, it doesn't matter, but um, is also used in Philippians 1.29. And in that context there, Paul is specifically telling us that us suffering it, for Christ's sake, is a blessing to us. It is a blessing, and you should receive it that way as a blessing. And these experiences, he's saying, your experiences, your suffering, has it been in vain? Was it useless? All work without God is in vain. Psalms 127, verses 1 and 2 Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, 
for so he gives his beloved sleep. We can't do anything good without God. And if you look back at your own experiences, I think you'll see that also. <clears throat> then it starts talking about miracles, and you see God provide these miracles. See, the whole trinity is, is in these five verses is addressed. And because he wants to focus on that, your whole experience with God and the whole desire and our whole relationship with the triune God. And the whole, every part of the Trinity being important, your whole experience with it. And um, some of these accounts, some of these accounts of miracles that they experienced were in, when you, it talks about the forming of the churches in Acts 13 to 14, and you see where some of these experiences have already taken place even, where they were already had issues with the Judaizers trying to corrupt the gospel. And they're, we're fighting it back then. And so it's, it's not something, you know, that was brand new thought, but they were falling to this. And it should be clear to them. And they should look at their own experiences through the Spirit and understand that these were blessings and not works of the law. The letter continues uh, in the next part here, and we'll, it'll be, I'm sure, focused on next week's passage, but we spoke about Abraham's covenant and such last week a little bit, but it will continue into that because the whole message that we can only imagine was the argument that the Judaizers were bringing before the Galatians and other people to argue that they had to have circumcision to, to be rightful with it was their own misunderstanding of of God's covenant with Abraham. And then he goes on to continue and say that simply, even in Genesis with Abraham, even from the beginning, that the message was not of works, not of law, but it was of justification by faith. And <clears throat> I look at my own experiences and I think, God has never let me down, not even once. And I can tell you, without a doubt, God hasn't let you down either. But sometimes we have to look at, inside ourselves at what the truth is to see and to realize that we have to get out of the own, our own way sometimes. And what we need to be able to do that is to walk in the Spirit. And, and Paul speaks about that a little later in Galatians in 5.16 where he says, I say then walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then in six, chapter six, six through nine says, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will reap of the flesh, reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. So the question is, where are we being bewitched today in our lives? Sometimes we don't even realize it, but we are. All of us are being bewitched in some manner, even as Christians, even as faithful followers. Somewhere in our lives we're being bewitched. The question is where? Maybe it's in how you see the gospel working somewhere. Maybe it's you're looking at other people and you're like, that guy, I doubt he's even saved. Just look at him. Maybe you're doubting how the gospel looks and how it's seen. 
Maybe you're doubting the gospel's power and you're like, that person, I don't think he's even worth it. He's, he, he could never be saved. Look at how bad he is. You're doubting the gospel's power. Maybe you're being bewitched into how the gospel, how we should share the gospel. And I think this is actually something that is very prevalent in the church, that we get bewitched on how the gospel should be presented because we get so used to what we want and what we're used to also, what makes us comfortable. Like I'm comfortable doing this, but not comfortable doing that, sorry. And so I believe that that leads to where we have what I call church shopping, church shoppers, where they, you know what? I don't like what's going on in this church. I'm gonna go somewhere else. And it's not because they're preaching false doctrine. It's because you're just not comfortable. You're not being comfortable being led outside of that little box that you're in. And let me tell you, if you, if you actually feel the Holy Spirit leading you to, le- to leave this church for your own spiritual maturity, I guarantee you that every pastor here, every staff member will find joy in you going. But you're never gonna find satisfaction and joy when you're searching for your own selfish reasons. See, the devil wants to stunt your progress. He wants to stop you from spreading the gospel. And he's happily to bewitch you. See, God wants us, absolutely wants us to stand up with loving boldness and defend his word and defend the gospel. There's no doubt in that. But I'll tell you what God doesn't want. He doesn't want us standing up and arguing about the music, about the schedule, about the furniture, about the website, about the pews, about a pastor's accent or a pastor's charisma or some other silly thing that you're being bewitched about. He doesn't want that. It's a time for us to grow. It's a call for you to look inside yourself to grow. I recently heard sadly, about a church that is searching for a pastor. And this church is part of the Southern Baptist Convention. So a Southern Baptist church, right? And they're specifically searching for a pastor from a specific location because they feel that they are gonna get what they want in that pastor. They're gonna get the desired style of preaching that they want, the accent maybe they want, the charisma they want. Foolishness, absolute foolishness. They are being bewitched. That church is struggling. If, you, if, if someone's actually making statements like that, that is sad. There is absolutely a one way that you should demand your preacher, your pastor to lead and to preach, and that is biblically. That is the one way that you should demand of them. There should be nothing else. There should be no other personal desires in that. It is God's will not ours. So the question isn't, are you being bewitched? The question is how, how in your life? And are you willing to sit and recognize it and then stand up against it? Look, I know that it's a daily thing. Daily, we have to fight it. Daily, we have to stand against it. Daily, we have to repent and turn back to the Lord and seek after a life led by the Spirit. But The question is, are we ready to recognize that we need that? 
Maybe, maybe it's even for the very first time that you need to recognize that and see that because you realize that you can't do it on your own. You realize that this gift from God, this justification, this righteousness imputed on me, this situation where Christ has died for me and I want to give my life to him because I know that less of me and more of him is the only way to move forward into everlasting life. And I encourage you to call upon him. I really do. And to have faith and believe in Jesus Christ. <clears throat> if you guys would please, please bow your heads and join me in prayer. Lord God, I just want to thank you for this opportunity and bringing me here, God. And God, I, I just ask, I ask you to continue the work in the Holy Spirit. I, I know that you're working here and I just ask you to continue that work here with this congregation, everyone that hears your word, Lord God. And God, I ask for revealing of bewitchment in our lives. I ask that we all learn to rely on you and that we are strengthened by the joyful experiences that you give us, Lord God, the gifts and the spirit and our blessings, God. And God, I ask, I ask you to be with and encourage and to give safety to everyone here throughout their week and to have a blessed week and a blessed day. God, I love you so much. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. You have been listening to a message by one of our lay leaders, David Stanley from Together in Christ. This content has been provided to you by Monroe Missionary Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at mmbconline.org.